This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains spoilers from Kingdom of Ash with mentions of the Shadowhunters, Crescent City, House of Earth and Blood, and the Book of Azrael. For full lists, please see show notes. There are also discussions surrounding generational trauma and alcoholism. And welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing All of Us Villains by Amanda Foodie and Christine Lynn Herman. This is book one of two, yes? Yep, it's a confirmed duology with the second book, All of Our Demise, which will be out later this year. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, this book is called All of Us Villains. Just do you think, do you think that these kids are villains? No, not at all. I feel like it's a Diana situation from the book of Azrael when they were just trying to be like, oh, here's the female villain. And I'm like, she's not a villain. It's circumstantial. And that's exactly what this is. Like, everybody's really just trying to survive based on the environment that they were brought up in and the curses. I mean, it's it's not just one thing. And I wouldn't even say that they're morally great. They're literally trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I do not think that these like seven kids, I mean, kids, I'm saying kids. I don't think these seven kids are villains. I think there is a very like clear, very clear villain in this story. And I think that uh, the the plot kind of gives us is like family, like family and like tradition is the villain. Yeah. I think yeah. that's also like the secondary villain here. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the families alone. And that was one of the que- like questions. I say questions, but it was one of the things that I noted that I wanted to ask you about because in in past conversations, you know, it felt, I was like, you know, this feels vi-. it was one of the first things I texted you too. I go this this fam- all the families seem really toxic. There's a lot of generational trauma going on. There's like, e- everything is pretty negative. I go, however, my note was also, is this me projecting or just thinking or or holding our ethics and our societal norms to this world? Because we've had that conversation like in past episodes too. Is it is it fair for me to put that and project that on to what we're reading? You know, in another asterisk with another layer saying but how great is it that these conversations and not great that it's happening, but how there are so many people who could probably read this and think their characters are like, oh, my God, that is exactly what happens when I go home. Or that's exactly the conversation that I've had with my family, you know, however. So it was also really relatable in that aspect, too. Yeah. So I think like there's a lot of tropes in this story, obviously, <laughs> like <laughs> magic tournament. I mean, this is. The the tagline for this is like, I mean, the official tagline is like blood, blood above all or something like that. But it's like Hunger Games with magic. And that is incredibly true. Uh, but the there's magic tournament. There is like 
people that are special that don't want to be special. There is magic, but only certain people can see it. There's politics trying to control stuff. This whole thing, I, I, when I read this the second time, this whole thing was like very anti-government to me. <laughs> they were like, stay out of our, well, I mean, in a way it is. I mean, it's YA magic. It, it, it's like a lot of why when you think of Hunger Games with magic, it is very much like that. It's like, the, you know, down, you know, it's a resistance kind of thing. But in this situation, the resistance is the fam- are, are the families and the families. And it's all political because only obviously there's many, many families, but it's only the seven who are allowed to compete. And it's only the seven who are up for grabs for the who control the high magic for every 20 years. So in that way, like, yeah, it is political because you only have seven families. It's like the founding families all over. And something that I really like that I took notes on the second time that I read this is that on like the big like pillar, right? The pillar in the center of town and everything. It uh, starts the one that they carve their names into. Yeah, yeah. it starts cracking, right? Like mm-hmm. like every time something like kind of happens, it starts cracking. But um, specifically, there's there's two ways to like break the curse, and like we'll get into it obviously. But I'm just pointing out these two ways and how it's like you can do it the right way. And put all of the relics in all of the places and like the seven cracks will happen that way. Or you can do it the wrong way. And I like that there's like a wrong way to break this curse. Cause like that, that's like weird to me, but like the wrong way to break this curse is by acting like out of the pattern and like villainous or like non villainous, um, like breaking the cycles. So like breaking all of the like toxic cycles <laughs> that has led up to this is like the wrong way to break the curse and that there's more of that happening. And I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know, but I just found that to be just kind of, I don't know, interesting and fun. And I picked up on it. It's giving, it's very, it's giving very much. We are the generation that has to break our generational curses. Um, And that's the case, but that's the case. That's exactly the case with this, with these group of champions, I say champions loosely because essentially they're all chosen to die. Yeah, they are chosen to die. But and we were talking about the world building. I really didn't enjoy this world building. Did you like? It just felt, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a confirmed duology. I don't know if it was, I was going into it expecting something else. I mean, all I knew was the, you know, the unofficial tagline. It's it's Hunger Games meets magic. And it kind of reminded me of the Triwizard Tournament too, because you have like designated people. But I, I think because I went into it with different expectations, it just felt lagging. And once I understood the plot, I, I don't know, maybe it could have been wrapped up in one book. But again, I don't know what I was looking to get out of it when I started reading it. And I even told you before we started recording, I was like, maybe talking this through will help me um, understand and enjoy it more because it has all the things that we love. I mean, even when we talk about like a lot of the females, like you would think, okay, if you look at it individually, the females are pitted against each other, but you just take a step back there. That's not the case. They're all pitted against each other. They've all been raised and groomed to have this certain mentality that everybody's the enemy. There's no such thing as allies. I think even one of the, even one of the, um, one of many lines is like, you don't have friends. You just have people who you don't kill first. Like that's really what it is or who you're going to kill last. And even some of the allyships, they allied with certain people because they're like, we're stronger together, but I know 
when it comes to one-on-one, I'll take everybody, every one of those allies out by myself. Yeah, Finley. I think it was Finley, yeah. Finley did that. Kind of a dick move, but I get the strategy. Um, I, I'll say up front, I enjoyed this book. I read this uh, twice. I'll say 2.5 because I went back and um, kind of like did bookmarks and like a little bit of notes and stuff. But I enjoyed this book in the same way that I enjoyed um, A Deadly Education. Not talking about the controversy around it, just like the actual plot of the book, like a dark Harry Potter kind of situation. This is a dark Hunger Games situation. This is dark. Like... These kids all believe themselves, I think with the exception of Bryony, to be villains. And I think that they have to they have to have that mindset because what they're doing, if you just look at it, is bad and like very, very traumatizing and horrific. And and that's the the start of the book. Because in the book, there's a book <laughs> uh, that was released that was really scandalous, right? Um, a Tradition of Tragedy. The the whole title, A Tradition of Tragedy, The True Story of the Town That Sends Its Children to Die. <laughs> um, so that book is released and everybody finds out about um, Ilvernath and the, the world building and everything that happens with high magic. And we, the reader get that information and i enjoyed this world building because i thought it was like pretty unique uh, i liked the blood veil i liked the blood moon i like this this annual like 20 year reoccurring curse it was interesting uh and and i like that and i like the quotes from the book that are in the beginnings of each chapters of like the actual book that we're reading I liked that. And it gave way to what was happening. Like you knew like I, I feel like if you weren't following along in the book, the the entries before each chapter, you're like, oh, the, it's it's that's part of the building. That was helping build the story. If you didn't take anything else, you yeah. knew that this is these are the key points you need to remember. And you know, and I really like, you know, we start off with Alistair. I like the curse rings and like the spellmakers. Uh, the the magic system that we have here is really fun and interesting, and 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 everything that happens with Gavin too is just like whoa when the all, all of that all of that and of course read the little asshole. Um, so seven champions, seven families. Ilvernath is here. The government is interfering. The tournament's about to start. Um, I my least favorite character here is Briny. I'm saying that right up front. Bryony's like self-righteousness, her like her 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 hero complex, her tunnel vision, her her need to like prove everybody. I can't stand it. It drives me absolutely, absolutely nuts. Uh, and then when she cuts off her sister's finger, I was like, I am done. I am done with you. I am done with you. Uh, but her persistence to break the curse is, of course, like the driving like force throughout the story. So like I understand her, but oh my god, I wanted to smack her. Speaking of the finger, and this is just like a general question over the whole book. I know you're not a fan of like gruesome details with, you know, when it comes to, I don't want to say slaughter or murder. It's it's weird. But when it comes to violence, like you read the Poppy War in the first book and you're done with it. Or if you're reading war scenes, you're like, war, war, war. I'm just going to glance over this and I'm going to move on. How did you feel with this book because there, like, I mean, there was an opened rib cage at some point. Eleanor, maybe, <laughs> like, uh, this doesn't bother me. This did not bother me because this is magic. 
This is magic, right? Like uh, for the most part, this is violence with magic and curses. And that is a very different animal from like actual like like violence, violence. That's like in the poppy war. That's just like very disturbing. Uh, but like these descriptions didn't bother me. It, it bothered me more that like she had the audacity to do that. Like, <laughs> are you shitting me? Like you weren't like, obviously, the government didn't need to be involved. Obviously, like, fuck that. But like enough, enough. Do what Briny. Uh, this is my thing. Like, OK, so obviously Bryony takes Inez's place in the tournament after the government chooses Inez because they're backing the Thorn Burns to win the tournament. This is the plot. We know this. Okay. 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 But after Inez was chosen, Bryony could have just like tried to work on it from the outside, right? Like she could have like done all of her crazy stuff. But then she didn't have faith that Inez would stay alive long enough for her to like do anything. And and like I understand that, but it's also like ugh. how would she have worked it from the outside because weren't like some of the things like the relics and the clues ever all of that stuff was and I almost imagine it because and maybe it's just because of the Hunger Games is really just driven like that's driven in in every single there's a video on YouTube that's like a trailer reel like that's really the driving force amongst all of the reviews that I saw so in my head it was like this dome right because there is kind of like a field like a some sort of magic field because then there is a part towards the end of the book where Isabel and the paparazzi catch them and Bryony has to pull her back away from the field and it's called like the overheard or the overcharged mm-hmm. like field or something so i just imagine if it is this dome how would she have worked on it from the outside when she can't communicate with anybody this is just me she she because she's annoying and tenacious would have gone to reed and the two of them would have but Reed is in on it the whole. Oh, that's he's crazy. He's not on the whole time. Yeah. So like they would, they they <laughs> would have. He would have done it that, and they would have, you know, from the outside. And then Gavin, Gavin was already pushing through the boundary on his own to come because to Reed. A, well, he was a vessel. He can like yeah. be between the two. Yeah. Okay. So he yeah. could go in and out anyway. So that would have been happening anyway. This okay. this is these are all, this didn't happen. This, this is all I just like you. theoretical. No, this like, is why I'm asking yeah. you. But what did happen? Okay. Okay. What did happen? I was looking at some of the interviews with the authors, and they gave some pretty good information here. They said that the four POVs that we have in this book uh, correspond to, like, very specific roles. And I thought that was interesting. So, Alistair, this is, like, their personas. Okay? So, Alistair is the villain. He very much believes he's the villain. He's raised as the villain. That is him. Bryony's the hero. Isabel's the princess, and Gavin is the underdog. So, like they that that is like how the authors have, like, that's official. And those are the POVs that we have in the book. I was least interested in Gavin's POV. I just did not care about anything that he did. Like after his tattoo, and after we figured out like what he has to do, he was just like so sad. And everything that he did was, like, kind of sad that by the time everybody, I say everybody, like, everybody alive, uh, came to the castle and they were, like, teasing him and, like, making fun of, like, the gaudy castle and stuff. Like, I felt so bad for him. I just did not want to be 
in his POV. Like, I don't want to be sad and like weird and like feeling awkward about it. Like that is just not the vibe. Um, so I did not like Gavin's POV, but he is very much an underdog. His family sucks. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, out of all the families, Jess, who, who sucks the most? Who do you think? I kind of, I feel really bad for Isabel. I really do. I mean, you have, and maybe it's just like, it's kind of semi-relatable too. Like she's these two parents, they're divorced. They're using her as a pawn. Then when she speaks, she finally is able to speak up for herself. They guilt her into how, you know, it's that, how dare you? We've done all of this for you. You never wanted to sacrifice yourself for the family. Like, it's just, I really felt bad for her, but I love how smart she was because initially she's like, I'm going to use my wiles. And I, I just, I, she was, she's just like Shadowhunters Isabel. Like, I love a good Isabel. Like, she's smart. She's smart. And even towards the end, when she's thinking bigger picture and she does that curse towards Alistair because she sees that she's like, no matter what he feels for me and we've put our, our differences aside, I, my, his love, I'll say in quotes, um, for me will never match his love for his brother. And I saw when I used the, the Reaper's kiss or whatever curse, what he was thinking. And she's like, I have to, she, put it all aside and she was like bigger picture i have to curse him and she like you knew it killed her but that didn't matter not in a bad way not in a malicious way but she was like greater good if we're trying to break this curse he can't be one-offing all of us for the sake of his brother and i really appreciated that you were looking at me and you said, like, insta like love. It's like, it's the love. Um, I did, I went on Reddit. I did Reddit. I have a whole thing at the end. I'm going to talk about it. But, um, one of the, the things that people didn't like about this book was the, like the insta love between Alistair and Isabel. But like that to me in this situation is a thousand percent forgivable. A thousand percent forgivable because like, yeah, they were in that cave by themselves. They say for like two weeks. weeks. Yeah, I feel like it was longer because sometimes when there were conversations, it would be like another week passed by. And it could be because I was in a different POV. So what could have been to, like every time another week was added, I was just thinking. But still. Like, but it's still, they're the only two people with each other. It's like there's a magnifying glass and it's extreme cir circumstances. Yeah, life and death. And it's the first time that they were like, once they realized, we're like, let's put the negativity aside. They're seeing past my flaws that everybody has owned, like everybody externally has only harped on. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not like, I love Insta Love, but I don't mind it. Like it just, it made sense here. They're also kids. I say kids, you know, they're young adults. That makes sense. It's extreme circle. And this whole book is extreme circumstances yeah the the whole thing is extreme circumstances so like the criticism that like the insta love was annoying like no um no that is not a problem to me mm -mm. not at all not at all because like there was an instant you want to say insta love there was like an instant attraction when isabel and alistair first meet in the bar so like you know and that was before that was before she even knew that he was the champ the chosen champion even though internally from the low family it was um, but, and everybody just knew about her because 
you know, Bryony told the press a year and a half ago or whatever. So she was just favored by the media and favored by the government. So everybody already knew who she was, not yeah. to her choice. Yeah, like ugh, all, all this stuff. Um, I, I'm looking at my notes for her and it's just like, she's annoying, chosen, cuts off fingers, leaks Isabel's names, annoying, glory. <laughs> she's just she's just not my favorite. She's just not my favorite. Well, okay. So you know how sometimes you can get... You can be frustrated, not just you personally, but I think it's a general you, when you have somebody who makes a mistake and then it's like, okay, you'll learn from the mistake, but then they keep making the same mistake. And you're, that's what I feel like Bryony is. She keeps doing the same thing. And Isabel is like, what is your deal? Like, you're doing it all over again, but you're giving yourself a different reason to justify the same thing that you keep doing. I will say the only thing that I do like empathize with for Bryony is that she has, she has an idea, right? Granted, she's being manipulated. They're all being manipulated, like, like two layers at least of manipulation. Um, their family and then like Reed. Bryony, she has an idea. She won't let it go. It just so happens to be right, right? So, like, her saving grace is that it's right and it's true. Um, But, like, she has this idea and she will not shut up about it. And she's trying to get people on her side. She's trying to play the game. Like, I get it. And even with that, though... It's funny because how many times did she do, like, various truth serum, truth teller stuff, and they still were like... Even Isabel at one time, she's like, uh, she knocks her out and she's like, I just, I need a moment to think. And I can't with her talking. She's like, I just can't. And, <laughs> and, and I do, and I, I bring this up because, um, like, I, I really like Alistair. Alistair's, Alistair's my favorite in, in this, like, whole little bunch. But I, I bring this up because it was surprising to me that, uh, you know, every, everything has happened. Like we've got some champions dead. Like everybody's in Gavin's castle and, um, they've got Bryony and they're throwing her in the dungeon, right? She's in the dungeon. And, and it, it was Alistair that lets her go because Alistair wants a life outside of all of this. Like he's the first one. Like, I mean, like Finley, but like Alistair's the surprising one to crack, right? I mean, not really surprising because you're in your his POV, but like he's the one that really wants out because he he wants something with Isabel. He wants just like a different life. Uh, they and everyone took everything from him, and like he wants something for himself and like fuck all these other people. I liked that. He he was I saying that it's like he really is lost without his brother. Like, he was like, you know, he he really is like, am I a monster for, like, saying fuck everybody else? Like, if I can't have my best friend, my other half, like, fuck all y'all. Like, no, I don't care. Like, and I I get that. I'm like, you know, I I feel bad for him. I really do feel bad for him. You know, especially because, like, like, and and with all of them, it's a drill. But him especially, he's not told bedtime stories. He's told nightmares. And he's told, like... You know, if you are the monster or, or, you know, stories like if you are the monster, monsters can't scare you kind of thing. Like be worse than other people, you know, and I'm I'm sure like a lot of people use that for like bullying tactics, too. When, you know, you don't know how to act, you put up this huge wall and you become super abrasive and 
he just, you know, you just got to peel some of the layers of the onion back for him. <laughs> well, you, you bring me to a scene that really, like, really stuck out to me. And that's, it's kind of in the beginning. It's when Alistair is with his grandmother and they're all in front of all the, like, spell makers and curse makers. And Alistair has spent all of that time um, uh, making the Vintner's Revenge, I believe is what it's called, uh, the the Hangover Curse. And the spell makers and curse makers um, end up, one of them ends up like attacking, right? And, and Alistair curses him and he ends up almost dying. Like he goes blind and stuff, uh, just cause like the curse was like really strong. And his grandmother was like, like upset with him about that. And it was just like not cool. But, but Alistair at that point kind of realizes like, this is all fucked up, right? All of this is fucked up. And then directly because of that situation, Alistair has, uh, a bunch of like faulty equipment. Yeah, like the the spell the spell and curse makers used to fear the low family. So whatever they wanted, they got. They've been champions for many many centuries. It feels like I don't know. I say centuries, but very many decades. And then it backfired because one of his curses backfired unintentionally. I think. No, no, that was intentional. Um, but then that's why he locks himself in his cave because he can't let everybody know that he's essentially has no um, power of defense. And so, so my, my point bringing this up is like Alistair is like um, physically defenseless because he's been given all of this like faulty things because of the um, environment that he was raised in from his family to be the villain. He attacked, you know, you know, there was an attack situation that I got. Okay. Anyway, um, so he's physically in a bad place and he's also mentally completely destroyed because they just murdered his brother to give him the like the the like golden ticket curse, right? With the lambs the lamb sacrifice. Um so like Henry's like soul is in there or whatever, and that's all fucked up. Uh so he he's in so Alistair, the the like villain of this that everyone is afraid of, is at his absolute lowest point completely and then you have isabel who never wanted to be chosen and like had all of this attention and stuff she also goes to alistair at like her lowest too because when she uh stumbles into that cave she has no power she cannot sense magic at all she's essentially defenseless and that instant love situation never bothered me because they were both at their like absolute lowest and just like kind of found each other. And then that was a catalyst. And that makes everything that happens at the end with the bigger picture that you brought up so much more like powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like their story. I like their arc. I'm interested to see where and how it goes, how it ends, because who knows with some of the curses. I mean, we're not going to go down theories because it doesn't matter. But like, for all we know, this one curse that they're trying to break with the seven families and the seven relics and the se- all the things, that could also mean it breaks all the other curses that are inside. Again, theory doesn't make sense to theorize because we don't know and the book's coming out soon. So whatever will be, will be. But it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds because it makes sense why it was instant love for that to happen. I mean, they were already attracted to each other to begin with. Exactly. And 
Inez has contacted Bryony, right? Inez has contacted Bryony. Inez is like working on something. Inez has like a badass like iron like finger and like glove situation. So like that is all happening too. And that, that just like sets up the second book here. But uh, I want to talk about Reed. I really want to talk about Reed McTavish because I wrote down all of the shady shit that he did to kind of set all of this up. Um, what did you think about Reed? Did you suspect him like right off the bat? Not right off the bat, but it was, I was curious, not, not right off the bat because he was very involved since the beginning of the book. He was like one of the favorite spell makers. Everybody was kind of going to him, even though everybody was kind of like based on their families, you only go to certain people, but Reed just came across as this opportunist. I will go to whatever works for me, but I didn't think of anything at the beginning of the book. I was curious when uh, Gavin woke up and he was talking to Reed about stuff and Reed was like, interesting. But the way it came across, and again, I had the audiobook too, it came across that his interesting wasn't curious and, oh, that's interesting. It came across of, huh. So yeah, kind of like, Maniac, yeah, maniacal in a way. Like, okay, that was what I was hoping, but curious that this is confirmed. Like mm-hmm. my theory. So that's where I thought I was like, something's happening here, and I don't trust him, but I don't know what yet. So I have here. So of course we know that Reed wrote the book. Reed wrote the book. We know this. He says it. He confirmed. He wrote the book. Uh, it, it's interesting in the beginning when everybody starts, like, we get the POVs and everybody starts going to his shop, right? And we get all the different POVs from his shop, like um, Isabel and Gavin. But, he like, the shop is messy. You know, there's a spell on the back. It's, like, this whole thing. And then Reed looks a certain way, whatever. Um, but he says, like, his father died, and and it's like a dig to Isabel. He's like, well, you were at the funeral, you know, like just a little dig to Isabel. But like that that spell shop and that family have been like, you know, there forever. And that they were one of the families and spell makers that knew about the curse. So when everyone is saying like, oh, who wrote the book? Who wrote the book? It had to have been an insider. That little throwaway line in the beginning is like, oh, yeah. And, and like this spellmaker in particular, like he was one of the original ones that knew. I was like, hmm, OK, you're really good at picking up stuff like that. Little throwaway lines. They're they're fun. Reed specifically says in his like confession to um, Isabel at the end that he sent um, Briny like the the like information he like put the idea in her head that the tournament could be broken um he did what he did to Gavin so that Gavin could become a vessel and use his own life magic to power his spells and then he told Isabel well he led Isabel to go to Alistair because a null, null and void spell would never have worked to cure Isabel from her... Um, not being able to see magic. Not being able to see, see magic. I can't remember the name of that spell. Um, but he he told her to kind of go to Alistair. So, like, Reed had at least, like, three fingers in the pie manipulating everybody out there. Oh, and- he was a puppeteer. Yeah, He was just, like, with a, with all his little marionettes watching. Because especially he, could, he can watch. He had, mm-hmm. he had his vessel. Yeah, and then including... 
writing the book, getting all of the tourists, getting the government attention, getting everybody in there. Um, so he did all of that. And then his like evil, like, ha ha ha, you know, uh, mustache curling moment is when he, he's like, you know, <laughs> after, you know, when this breaks, high magic is going to be visible. It'll be visible to everybody. Cause that's like the thing, like high magic is red and it's only visible to the family that wins the tournament. And like, that's the point of the tournament. And everybody mm-hmm. thinks that high magic has been, um, used up, but that's not the case. So Reed wants to control high magic. So like he he wants to break this curse, break the tournament so high magic can be seen by everybody, but then he wants to control it all. It's like my man, my dude. Why? Why? Well, well I mean, but he's not one of the seven families. Mm-hmm. So it's like he, well, how can I how can I participate in a way that I ult- I ultimately have control? Well, and I this goes back to Bryony. Bryony has a line that says, you know, think of all the good. Of course, the government wants the Thornburns to win. Think of all the good that we could do with it. Think of all the good, you know, and that's what everybody always thinks. Well, most everybody, right? Like what I could do with it. I could do so much better than, you know, whoever had it before. If I won the yeah. lottery, I deserve the lottery. I mm-hmm. would do all this if I. No, you fucking wouldn't. Yeah. So. I mentioned earlier that I went on Reddit for this book. I did. I went on Reddit. I wanted a fucking confirmation that Reed wrote the book because because there are um, some some ways that they throw you off about that. The The story starts with everybody assuming that Gavin's family, like somebody in Gavin's family wrote it and they're like, oh, maybe it was his sister, um, you know, at the wedding that we attended in the beginning. Maybe it was her. And then, um, actually, later on in one of the excerpts, it says that Isabel McCaslin wrote the book. Uh, in one of the, um, like excerpts from A Tradition of Tragedy in one of the beginning chapters, um, Isabel, it says, like, that's why I wrote this book. Isabel McCaslin, you know, it says that. And so I have on my notes, like, Isabel McCaslin wrote book. And then I kept going just to, you know, find it and confirm, but that Reed did read the book. But that is because on the internet, people, uh, there is only like spoiler free stuff about this book, which is great. Spoiler free is great. We have spoiler free stuff, but like, I just wanted to confirm. <laughs> I just wanted to confirm something. So with- here we are. Yeah. Confirming for you. <laughs> confirming for you all that Reed McTavish did indeed write a tradition of tragedy, but like, It took me a hot minute to go through all of these summaries and like, you know, I was searching for specific words and like phrases and, and it was just like, this is the plot without any detail and da 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 da. It was just, it was not helpful at all. I mean, it's it's helpful if you're like looking for that vibe. You're like, oh, I want a book that's like this. The reviews and the summaries and the discussions that are on like, like visually online are great for that, but for our purposes, it was yeah. kind of rough. It was it was rough. It was not helpful. I spent a, a significant amount of time on the official like wiki, and I can understand why that is not like updated because like the next book's coming out, so I assume it'll be updated before the next book. You know, da da da. I understand that marketing, whatever. But like again, not helpful. Just trying to confirm some stuff, like. <laughs> Uh, like, I wanted to confirm that Briny's sister's name was Inez. And, like, that wasn't on the wiki. I had to, like, go and, like, look for it. It was just, like, this whole the thing. The one thing I could have helped you out with. 
<laughs> it was just like this thing. I was like, gosh. Um, so I guess really great for the readers, annoying for us who just want to like fact check stuff. Um, but I think maybe that can go to that this book is, is a little under the radar. It is not talked about a lot. It was when it first came out, but I, I feel like not so much anymore. I haven't heard anything and maybe there will be like an uptick with the with the second book coming out and you know how things are it was like I mean maybe this is an extreme example but there were a lot of people who didn't read Crescent the first Crescent City it came out in you know March 2020 um you know perfect timing mm -hmm. um but then Hosap was coming out and a lot of people didn't want to read it right away because they're like it's a big book and then we know how you get when you go into a Sarah J Mass like Oh, you know, rabbit hole. You just want everything all at once. Um, so maybe that's, you know, the style for this book, too, because I could understand. It makes sense. I think if, like, to to read this book when it first comes out, I guess that's the case with a lot of things. And then you have to wait for a release of another one. Like, this is definitely one that you would want to pick, you know, pick up right right away. Because if there's some time, you kind of want to reread. You might want a refresher. Um, and I, I remember people talking about it, but then I haven't heard anything recently. Yeah, I haven't either, which is a shame because I love the end of this book. And, and when we're talking about like the online summaries, they all say it ends on a cliffhanger and it does. It ends on a cliffhanger. It ends on, I think, several cliffhangers. Like all of our characters kind of are on cliffhangers. Like Bryony has to go meet her sister Isabel is like isolated with Reed. Um, Finley and Gavin are off, right? Like doing stuff. And Alistair and Hendry, uh, my boys, are going to uh, fuck some shit up. Man, they are done. So we haven't really addressed this. Henry dies and comes back to life. I say that in quotes. Um, one of my favorite scenes in this book is the whole castle sequence when everybody comes together and they're in Gavin's castle and Gavin and Alistair start drinking and, <laughs> and they start just bonding and it's, it's sad, right? I think it's kind of sad. It's sad. I, I'm not a fan of the peer pressure that happen like especially because like trigger warning alcoholism like alcoholism clearly runs in gavin's family mm -hmm. it's, and it's why he actively stays away from it and he tells he tells alistair that because even alistair tries to like peer oh come on aren't you grieved supposed to like this is supposed to be your shit um i'm just like drunk all the time and that's why like this is so much better and then he's like no there's a reason why i don't it's because of that you know and that part i feel bad like i feel bad nobody i don't believe in peer pressure unless you're like come on just go don't you want to go on the roller coaster like peer pressure me into that not to do something that i'm not comfortable with in a in you know, in a different way. I mean, I guess I wouldn't be comfortable. Back in the day, I wasn't comfortable with roller coasters. Now I'm like, woo. Um, I digress. But I did feel bad because it was just such a deeper thing. It was a deeper thing. And all of that gets us to the pivotal, like pivotal moment that we have here in like the outside courtyard where both of these boys are just like fall down drunk. They have opened like secrets. They, they have shared stuff. And I say that it was sad because it was very clear that neither of them had ever really had anybody um, to be wholly open with because like Alistair had Henry, but they didn't talk about the tournament. They say that over and over and over again in the beginning, like Henry's like, if you ever want to talk about the tournament, like tell me. And Alistair says like, yes, you know, I'll be about, I'll tell you later. You know, that trope. And they never do. 
They never do. But but Gavin and Alistair really have a moment there and they talk about like their families and how shitty everything is and like how um, the lengths that they have gone to to get where they are. And then uh, Gavin is like, well, if you if you don't want to use it, if it's so fucked up, then like bury the curse ring that has like your brother's soul in it. Like, just be done with it. And and Alistair ha- like says he has this moment of like that never occurred to me. It never occurred to me to like give give him back to like the earth, you know, because he always liked to be outside, Henry, all that stuff. But he's also and and Alistair also selfishly says like um, he wanted to like keep part of him with like keep part of Henry with him. So like that was really sad too. But I did like this image of him like burying this ring and like this magic like like seeping back in the earth but it was like a it was like a thing it was like a moment um and then of course we have henry um this all brings me back to um the end where henry is is like back to life you know quote quote by high magic so he's like red and he he like you know he like trails and stuff when he moves and he's powerful and he can like cast curses and stuff I had to reread that part because I remember earlier in the book, there was kind of like a, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, a, you know, when you could see something like an illusion, like I thought it was like an illusion. Remember mm-hmm. that they were like, no, it's not re-. like it was. I think one of them was the lake because they, like they just thought it was blood. So you taste like they were like tasting. Oh, the blood yeah. And all that That's stuff. such so, a great scene. Yeah. And, and you could see it. Right. Yeah. And and I love that part. But that's why I had to reread Henry coming back because I'm thinking, wait, is this that this all over again? So I read it a couple times. But, like, but then when. I don't remember who. Maybe it was Finley. It was like uh, Alistair. Like, what? Watch Henry move. Like he he's he's there, but he's not there. But he's there. But it's like woo. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, trippy. <laughs> and like and like, I bet like if that were if you're in the moment, like that must be scary as fuck, right? Scary as fuck. And then but then he's like kind of tangible and like like oh my gosh um but alistair chooses henry isabel chooses herself you know right and like alistair small girl but everybody wants to break the tournament but alistair will not give up his brother and like i Mm -hmm. i understand that and i do feel like i think later on he will um you know, that will resolve itself. Of, yeah. You know, I, I feel like that will res- resolve itself. But right now, um, Henry and Alistair are walking like hand in hand into that, into that sleeping house that they grew up in where his family, where Alistair's family murdered Henry in like cold blood, right? And they're walking through and they're, they've got knives and they're like slashing pictures as they're walking through and they keep saying like grins like goblins, right? That's their saying. And then they, walk out and then and then it's like a fade to black this is why i love ya and then it fades to black and then the next scene is like they're walking out of the house and the curse that isabel cast on alistair will kill him um, by his own sinful actions so like the more sins that alistair commits like the curse will go up his hands and like up his arms until it stops his uh stops at his heart and he walks out of that house and it's like his hands are or white with sins, I think is what the line is. It, it is so good. And then it ends. And people are mad about that cliffhanger. They wanted a little bit more, but like, 
I knew there was a duology, so I was like set up for that. But I love that ending because I like the idea. And of course, YA, we talk about this a lot with Cassie Clare. Like you can do a lot with a little Mm -hmm. and still get an impact across, right? I don't need pages and pages of very graphic description of what they did to their family members. I know that they died terribly. I know this because I know... Alistair through all of his POVs. I know what he's feeling. I know the joy that he would have taken in getting that revenge, but I don't need it described to me on page. It's almost better that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and to what you're saying with YA, it's also immediately making me think of Kingdom of Ash spoiler when Rowan, you know, Rowan finds Aelin, Aelin has escaped and he goes back for Karen. You didn't need the details, but you know that, that 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 man is not in one piece anymore. Yeah. He is flayed. But like in my in my head, that's how I imagine it. Like, but it's it's a very Rowan Rowan took care of some shit, you know? And that's all we needed to know. <laughs> yeah, and it, that's and you know, that's the beauty of YA. Cassie Clare again does a really good job with Shadowhunters about doing that, taking very something very graphic and just kind of stripping it down and just like moving past it. I like this fade to black here. It doesn't bother me at all. I like the setup. I like the loose ends. I, I don't really have any complaints here. And, and I know a lot of people did. Uh, you know, it's just, there isn't a lot of meat here, but that's the setup. Tr- it tracks exactly yeah. what I'm interrupting you, but that's exactly what no. you're going to say. Like it's one of two. So we need two to accurately judge one. Yeah. To judge the whole. Yeah, because I like I I remember before we started recording, I was like, I need to talk this out. I I, it wasn't that I needed like my opinion changed. I go, I need to know what it is that didn't like it checks all the boxes. What is it that I'm like, why did I just feel like it was meh? And I think that's probably it. it is because there was so much background that I wanted to get to the meat. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's also like to what we say with a good first book is you should be wanting more. You know, that's the whole. And I mean, especially from like a publisher and a marketing perspective, it's also easier, you know, to invest in like pieces as opposed to a million different one offs. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense why you're like, well, let's do this completed. You know, if you're confirming it's a duology, because w- what was another one? Was it We Hunt the Flame duology where you can see right where it ended and it picked right back up because otherwise it would have been like one 800 oh, page book or something? That what was, was the one we did. We talked Our Violent about Delights. Oh, yes. Thank you. But th- yeah, that's per- like that's an otherwise it would just be one big yep. book. And maybe that's and I haven't seen an interview on it yet. Um, but maybe that could have that would have was possibly the case with this one. It could have been one big book and you're like, no, there's there's too much. We need to do a part one and a part two. And we'll see the payoff in part two because there's just too much information in book one to not to not get the, the meat of it. Yes. Yeah, and a thousand percent. And I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes too, because like Alistair's family's dead. He's the head, right? Henry's gotta go. Uh, the curse is gonna break. Everybody's gotta take everybody down. It's just, it's just fun. And I do like now that, um, the media has a play in this 
tourists have a play in this. Um, they call them curse chasers. Curse chasers. Um, <laughs> it just makes me think of like um, ghost facers from Supernatural. <laughs> ghost facers. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I do like this book. Would I pick it up again? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, I'll remember all the plot points uh, before the second one. Is enjoyable. Uh, would I recommend it? Maybe if you are into this kind of thing. There is a huge number of people that are uncomfortable with death tournament oh. um, situations. And I understand that completely. Uh, it is difficult uh, to have children kill each other. Of course, like, that's awful. Um, but the the death tournament thing is, of course, very popular. So, you know, there's that. Always check your trigger warnings. But, uh, yeah. Could you see this in an adaptation? I guess you'd need the whole duology to figure it out then. Yeah, and I don't know. I think there's a lot of other stuff uh, that could be more easily adapted adapted i i feel like this is just kind of dark and very niche uh i think if you wanted to do something that is still in the same kind of vibes as this that isn't death tournament um a darker shade of magic would be where i would go um yeah yeah those are just my my thoughts interesting I, I was that's always like one of the questions that i ask because when you see um, you know, we talk about cycles that you see in the media. So for a we you know, we said a while back, maybe when we were talking about in 2020 and we were like released an episode in 2021, it was like, we're waiting for that resurgence of vampires and werewolves. And what did we see? Like teen, you know, everything was mm-hmm. coming back. So, um, so it'd be, so it's, I'm wondering where and when that pickup of, um, YA, like, you know, fantasy YA is going to have its moment because you're slowly seeing it, um, especially with the streaming services, buying the rights or confirming the rights. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's going to be produced. That doesn't mean that there's going to be follow through. It just means that rights have been secured for that platform with that title and nobody else can touch it for a certain length of time based on the contract. So thanks for listening. Um, You can follow us on our socials. We're at Akafe Podcast on Instagram. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. And thanks for joining us. I know it was a quick episode, but I mean, we're, more is to come. You know, this is just to get us ready for the, the second book of the, uh, the Confirmed Duology. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.